the book of Acts and I'm going to read just the first 11 verses. In the first book, O Theotophus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I've got a heading for what I want to share this morning. And it's a question or a multiple two questions together really and it's this we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and what had happened over that weekend and it's this what on earth has just happened and what next what on earth has just happened and what next we today have the privilege of being able to understand the whole story of what happened over what we call Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We have the Word of God and we, we learn about the betrayal. We learn about the arrest of Jesus. We learn about the denial. We learn about the crucifixion. We learn about his death. We learn about his burial and we learn about his resurrection but imagine how it must have been for the disciples as they were actually living through it as it was happening around them they had followed Jesus for three years and suddenly within days after a glorious arrival into the city of Jerusalem the same crowd were telling or calling out crying out to get rid of him and they succeed and Jesus is sent to Golgotha we cannot even begin to imagine what was going on in their minds and then to top it all after they'd seen him taken they'd seen him die on the cross a couple of days later somebody says to them actually Jesus isn't dead he's alive he has risen. What on earth has happened? What on earth is going on? <coughs> what next? 
that's what I want to consider this morning. What did happen next? And these few verses from these three books that we've just read from the Word of God from, help us to find out. We have Mark's account, which Billy has read. And if you've got the more modern versions now, there's always something there that says that these verses were not found in the original or the earliest manuscripts. But it doesn't matter, because there's no doubt when you read what Mark has to say, and what he has recorded, it corresponds with all the other accounts, so we can accept it. And then we got Luke's record of the events in his first book, the Gospel of Luke. And then what he has written in his second book, this book which I've just read from, called The Acts of the Apostles. And so when we take these three readings together and ask the question, what happened next? This is what we discover. The first thing is that following what happened over that weekend, we find that what I would say were the disciples and they were in a crisis. You can imagine them asking what I've been given as my heading. What on earth has just happened? What next? We watched him die. We saw that he was buried. And yet, he's alive again. Think about it from their perspective. Not from ours, having the word of God. Imagine if I died today, and you saw me, it's not going to happen, I hope, but you saw me die here. And I was buried later on tonight. And maybe some of you watched me to get buried, because you were glad to see the back of me. <laughs> But then suddenly, in a couple of days' time, some of the ladies from the church begin to tell you, he's alive. We've just seen Hayden. How on earth would you feel? How on earth would you react? And yes, as I said, we know about it more because of hindsight, but the disciples didn't. Even though Jesus had told them what was about to happen, they hadn't fully grasped it. And even today, with the word of God, we do not fully grasp things. Even with the depth of material we have been given in the word of God to learn from. But for the disciples then, it put them into crisis mode. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus. It says that, that they were downcast. They were sad. And in Mark, Mark tells us in chapter 16 that the disciples were full of unbelief and suffered with hardness of heart. To be honest with you, they could have so easily have suffered with a heart attack, seeing a dead man alive again. They were fearful. They would be asking themselves the question, are we next on the Jewish hit list? And if they were, and they were killed, would they rise from the dead? So they were saying to them, let's lock the doors. We'll keep ourselves as safe as we can during this crisis we're found in. What's just happened? What is happening? What's going to happen? What next? And in fact, the crisis got hold of them so tightly that John tells us that later, Peter decided to go back fishing. But thankfully, temporarily. 
Well, what happened next was that the risen Jesus came and stood amongst them. Imagine that with the locked doors. A stone in front of the grave wasn't going to stop him getting out. And neither were locked doors going to stop him from getting in. And he comes to speak to them. And he speaks to them words of comfort. That is because he knew what they needed at that very precise moment. John 12, 20, 19 says that he said to them, peace be with you. And I think that that's wonderful, that those are the words that Jesus spoke to the disciples, peace be with you, because he could have so easily have rebuked them. He could have said to them, remember what I said to you a few days earlier in the upper room, I said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I told you what was going to happen. He could have rebuked them, but he didn't. He stood amongst them and he comforted them and he said to them, peace be with you. See, he remembered that they were frail humanity. And so he speaks exactly what they needed at the precise moment and time in which they were found. And I wonder, speaking of ourselves this morning, and speaking of my, myself and you as well, I wonder how often have we gone into a crisis mode? Something hits us like a ton of bricks. It might be a health scare. It might be a job loss. It might be a bereavement. It might be an, any number of things. And when it comes, we go into crisis mode and we decide to lock ourselves away from everything. We shut down. We switch off. Maybe we even become fearful. And perhaps even begin to allow our hearts to be hardened. It is at those times that we need to allow Jesus to enter into our lives, to enter into the circumstances and allow him to speak his peace. But he didn't just leave it at that. He followed it up with a confirmation. And yes, you're all beginning to see it yeah. <laughs> He showed them his hands and his feet. Scarred hands, scarred feet, and a scarred side. And he said to them, yes, boys, it really is me. Stop doubting. Stop being afraid. I am alive. I have risen. And then again, Jesus speaks and says, peace be with you. And the scripture says that the disciples' hearts were gladdened. It's good news that Jesus is alive. Amen. It gladdens our hearts. And there are men and women outside of this place who need their hearts to be gladdened. They think they're okay, but they need their hearts to be gladdened. And they need to hear the message of the gospel that Jesus is alive. And as he came to speak peace to the disciples, so he can come and speak peace into their hearts the same way that he has in ours. But someone was missing in the upper room. I wonder where he was. His name was Thomas. Maybe he'd gone to get some shopping done. Maybe he, like Peter, had gone to look for another job. And when the other disciples told him what had happened, he would not believe. He said, come on, guys, stop fooling around. Unless I see, unless I touch, and unless I place my hand into his side, 
I will not believe. What coldness of heart. What coldness of heart. After all he had witnessed and seen with Jesus over the three previous years. He had failed to believe Jesus and now he failed to trust what his comrades were saying to him. But thankfully Jesus was full of compassion and came and stood in their midst again and said come on Thomas. Come on Thomas. Here. Look. Touch. Place your hand in my side. See it is me. To which Thomas responded with a confession, my Lord and my God. His coldness turned to commitment. And perhaps we too often can be like Thomas. We have proven our Saviour in so many ways. Answers to prayer. We've witnessed his faithfulness. And then we allow doubts to enter our thoughts. And before long those doubts begin to drop down into our hearts. And we grow cold towards the things of God. Other things take priority. And before we know it we lack the desire to read his word. And to be in fellowship. And like Thomas we, end the, we run the risk of missing out when Jesus turns up. While all the time we need to remember... The words of what Jesus said. The blessed ones are those who having not seen believe. That's us. Amen. We've not seen him with our physical eyes. But we believe. And it requires us to keep trusting. While we're going through the storm. As well as when everything is hunky-dory. He's with us. When we're up there. Or when we're down there. But... Then Luke tells us that just in case there was still any area of doubt, that there was further clarification. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, he tells us that for 40 days, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Not one or two, by many proofs. Speaking about the kingdom of God. And they would have been convincing proofs. Plenty of evidence. It was proven beyond doubt to them that the message the angels declared was true. Jesus truly had risen from the dead. Imagine what those 40 days must have been like. It must have been amazing. The King James Version says that Jesus gave them infallible proofs. And if they had had the songbooks which we use singing today, there is no doubt that they would have sung, No more we doubt thee. No more we doubt thee. Glorious Prince of life, life is not without thee. Aid us in our strife. Make us more than conquerors through thy endless life. Take us safe to Jordan, to thy home above. And even the Apostle Paul, who had been a persecutor of the church. He himself declared that after dying and being buried, Jesus did rise again. And what Paul says was that this, that, and what it was it that had caused him, who had hated all things Christian, to change his mind. It was this, the very fact that the risen Jesus not only appeared to Cephas and the twelve, and to more than 500 brothers and to James and not forgetting the women as well but that he had also appeared to him 
Yes, Paul, well called Saul, on the road to Damascus while going to get the Christians to kill them, to put them in prison and everything else, he came face to face with the risen Saviour. The one who he had been denying. The one who he had been blaspheming against. But then, after all the confirming and clarifying, came the next important step. The command. Acts chapter 1, 45. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If they thought it was all over just a few days earlier, it was now only just starting. It is now only just starting. For Jesus was now going to commission them. There was a task at hand, an important task, and they would not be able to do it in their own strength. They would need company, and the company would be the indwelling and the power of the counsellor, the Holy Spirit. And we've read of those commissionings in Acts, Mark 16 and in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. I'll just read it from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But then we move on. And after the final instructions, the disciples, along with Jesus, they set off for what the disciples probably thought was just going to be a casual walk out towards Bethany. But they arrive, and suddenly Jesus lifts his hands and he blessed them. And the scripture says that as he blessed them, he was carried up into a cloud and through the atmosphere. He left the cosmos and went back into heaven. And we know what happened when he arrived. He was crowned as the exalted one, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He sat down at the right hand of his father and was given a name which is above every other name. See, when we look back, a few years earlier, Jesus was in the crib. But then he was in the carpenter shop. Then he was crusading through the towns and villages, preaching the kingdom of God. Curing all manner of diseases. Then he was upon a cross. Then he was a corpse. But he conquered death. Amen. Hallelujah. He conquered death. And he's now crowned with glory. And this is our saviour. This is our Lord. And this is our coming king. We must read these verses. Have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, who though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. His condescension led to his crowning, but it also led to our conversion. Amen. Isn't it wonderful? We read there in Scripture, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Isn't it wonderful? The story of redemption. And so the disciples, as far as they're concerned, Jesus is now gone. He's left them. What to do now? What next? What to do now? And so they return to Jerusalem. And they return to the upper room. And we find that they're there. And they spend time in obedience to the command that was given to wait for the endowment of power. And they wait. And they wait. But they're not wasting time. We can learn from that. They're not wasting time. They're praying. And they're seeking a replacement for Judas. And they wait until one day turns to two. Two to three. Until the tenth day arrives. And suddenly there seems to be a commotion. There's a strange sound. Luke describes it as a sound like a rushing mighty wind. And there is suddenly tongues of fire appearing upon them. And they all begin to speak in other tongues. The counsellor has come. The Holy Spirit has not only fallen upon them, but he had filled them and he was going to empower them. And as a result, they were ready to go and to do what Jesus had commissioned them to do. And Peter gets up with the eleven and begins to deliver a powerful sermon. It's a challenging sermon that brought conviction into the hearts of those that were listening. And three thousand souls were saved. On that day, the church that Jesus said he would build began to be built. And going back to where I started, what had happened? What next? Well, the stone had been removed. Jesus was alive. And just like a stone being dropped into a pool, the Holy Spirit, if I can say this reverently, was dropped from heaven into the little pool of believers that were gathered in the upper room and the rippling effect began immediately as it spread out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, then to Judea and then from there to the uttermost parts of the world. And guess what? We are a part of it. We are the effects of the ripple that started there in the upper room. It has reached us. And because that ripple has reached us, we should also be the cause for the ripple to continue. That's the challenge this morning. 
the ripple has reached us and we should be the cause for the ripple to continue. We too have been called. We too have been have chosen to follow Jesus. We too have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We too have been commissioned to go and to preach. We too are responsible for the spread of the good news of the gospel so that those who are still lost in their sin will hear about it and come to know Jesus. But maybe, maybe, too often we're like the disciples again, hiding in the upper room. We're in crisis. And perhaps in general the church is in crisis. What on earth is going on? What on earth is being taught and preached in some places? And fear has gripped so many. Fear of what man will say. Fear concerning being rebuffed or rejected. Instead we need to understand that while we are showing fear, the lost are facing the flame, the fire of eternal hell. And we need to allow Jesus to confirm our faith and to reconfirm our commitment to his word and to the gospel and to confirm our trust in him again to allow him to replace our fear with faith, to give us a peace that will cause us to stand firm and tall as believers in this day in which we're living in. We need to know what it is to be re-energised, to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, to know power and to know anointing. We need to know what it is to preach boldly, to preach, to testify boldly and to be ambassadors for God urging men and women their need to be reconciled to him. One commentator on the book of Acts has said that it is the only book of the Bible that is not complete. And the reason why he says that is for the story continues. Peter preached in Jerusalem and soon they were preaching in Judea. Philip then went down into Samaria then Peter went to Cornelius and Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles went far and wide on his missionary journeys and through the past 2,000 years the gospel has spread but today it still needs to be spread what part will you play? what part will I play? what are we willing to do? and where are we willing to go? See, the acts of the Holy Spirit still takes place as the rippling effect continues to go around the globe. May we play our part so that we are included in the ongoing story. And I just simply end this morning with these two words. And I believe that they're two words for us as a fellowship here in Gateshead. And it's the two last words of the question I started with. And it's this. What next? What next? Thank God for the past. Thank God for the blessings of the past. And everything that's happened in the past. But we're living in the present. And the future is ahead of us. And we have hindsight to know what the disciples didn't fully understand. We know what happened. We know why it happened. And it all led to the disciples being commissioned to go. You take over now. 
you carry on the task. And for us as a fellowship, we must have our part to play. What next? What next? We need to go. And then we'll grow. Amen.